Good morning. Welcome to Pierce Point Community Church. Everyone here online, everyone here in person. Uh, my name is Dylan. I am a deacon in training here and the youth leader here at Pierce Point Community Church. Um, a special hello to my wife and sister-in-law and Emmy Williams, who should be watching online right now. Uh, they're away on a retreat. If they're not watching online, shame. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> so today I get to go th- through an interesting topic. Um, it's the idea of was Jesus created? Um, I titled this, I, I always try to give like the documents in my uh, Google Doc when I'm working on teachings and stuff, like interesting like titles and stuff. So this one is Created Christ. Uh, I just thought it was funny. Um, we're going to really be coming through Colossians chapter 1, or at least part of it, that talks about this created Christ. Uh, air quotes because, well, you'll find out later. Um, but before I do that, I wanted to give you some context in regards to the book of Colossians. Um, this is obviously another letter written by Paul uh, to the church in Colossae. Coloss, I, I, I looked up a few different pronunciations of that. Um, interesting to note, Paul has not visited this church yet. He's not been there, but he is writing a letter to them. Um, we are not going to get into the, his specific greeting to the church, but it is long-winded, as is most of what Paul does. Um, but it's if you have the time to dig into that, it's very interesting because in that introduction, Paul's kind of doing an introduction of himself. He's, he's kind of giving them a reason like, hey, this is why I am able to write to you. I'm, I'm an apostle, not by my choice, but by God's choice. Um, and he really like lays out who he is, what he believes in, all of these things, um, because he's not visited them. So he's really laying out kind of a, a resume of his beliefs and, and who he is and why he has the authority to even speak to them. Definitely worth diving into in any of Paul's letters, by the way. His, his greetings always are specific to a specific group of people. Something else that you should know before, we, before you dive into Colossians is, and I'm, it, it's so funny because I practice preach through the devotionals before we, I like actually present them. And at one point I practiced preach through it and I was like, okay, I'm only at 10 minutes. I need to be, you know, 10 to 15 um, so I, I, I start digging a little deeper, and I uncover kind of the whole reason Paul is writing Colossians is because of a group of people called, called Gnostics. Uh, they practice something called Gnosticism, um, and it was, it was like one of the things where you like, you take off the trash can lid, and you see a raccoon, and you shut it real quick, because I was like, that's way too much information. So I'm going to do my best to give you a brief understanding of the the Gnostics, the Gnosticism, um, so we can jump into the the greater greater, uh, idea here. So the Gnostics wanted to take the simplicity of Christianity and turn it more into a philosophy. Um, They they believe that the spirit is good uh, and matter, what we are made out of, is bad. Um, that's their core belief. And then they also had a belief that salvation doesn't come from somebody like Jesus. Salvation comes from knowledge. Um, they did not see Jesus as any, anyone unique. Um, they believed that maybe he was a manifestation of God, but like not, not anything unique. Um, it's interesting 
as you understand the Gnostic belief system and you read through Colossians, you start to see that Paul is directly giving the believers in this church, in this place, fuel and, and, and truth to combat the heresy that's being, being taught by the, the Gnostic people. Um, so it's just interesting to like understand that this letter is really a way for Paul to say, hey, I know what's going on in your, in your area, in your, in your body, and here are the reasons why all of that is horse crap. So um, pretty, pretty cool. Uh, I would encourage you to dig deeper in that. There's a lot more when it comes to Gnosticism. Uh, I was going through just Colossians 1, and I was like, pretty sure I could do two sermons on this alone because there's so much there. But I want to get into this idea of created Christ. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to hop into Colossians 1 here in just a moment. Uh, the Bible teaches that Jesus was not created, but was rather the, the creator. And in, in Christ, all things were created. All things have been created through him and for him. Colossians 1. The doctrine of, of the eternality of Christ is one of the, of the distinguishing marks of biblical Christianity. Um, while Jesus is held in high esteem by Muslims, Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, and other various theological beliefs, these groups, these groups teach that Jesus was a created being but not us. It's what kind of one of the big things that sets us apart in our belief of Jesus. So let's hop into Colossians 1. We're going to go through from 13 to 20. For he, would, he was rescued from, from the domain of darkness, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. So let's pick this apart. The first thing that, pretty, that, that sets people off, that puts people on edge in this scripture is the phrase firstborn of all creation because it, it can freak people out when they, when they see something like that and they don't understand it because it's like, oh, well, has Jesus not always existed? Was, was Jesus created? Has, has he not always been? Is he, is he not actually God? Have we been lied to? Of course not. So interesting enough, if you dig into this phrase, firstborn of all creation, it's actually pretty cool. So, oh, I'm going to butcher this. The Greek word, um, protakos, I, I really tried to look it up. Yeah, Nathan whispered it to himself. I, I, knew, I knew that he would know it. Uh, it signifies priority. So in the ancient Near East culture, the firstborn wasn't necessarily the first out of the womb, right? So when we hear that word, we think of firstborn, like Naomi would be my firstborn child, right? But in this, in this time, that was not the case. The firstborn was more of a, a status. The firstborn was the one with the inheritance, the one with the, the blessing, the, the, the leader, right? So... Uh, we have actually a really good example of this in Genesis that we've been going over recently, uh, Jacob and Esau. Esau was born first. He's out, he's, he's out of the womb first. 
And in our eyes, we're like, oh, yeah, he's firstborn. Well, we find out very quickly in that story, due to, to some circumstances that probably shouldn't have happened, but they did happen, Jacob ends up being the firstborn. He receives the blessing. He receives the, the overall inheritance. So he becomes the firstborn there. So that's, that's an example where it doesn't necessarily mean the first out of the womb, but the, it, it's a status. So what we're being told in this scripture isn't that Jesus was created, but that it is, it is Paul in Colossians notating Jesus' authority that was, that was given to him from the Father, right? So he is the firstborn of all creation, meaning he has authority over all creation, which we know this. It's verified in all, all, over, all over the New Testament. But it's just a, it's, it's, it's almost like calling somebody a, a general, like that, that's their authority, right? They, they, now we know what authority they have. The same thing with the firstborn. Jesus has been given the authority over all creation. And we, we know that, and I think I've got it somewhere here that I'm going to quote later. But um, somewhere in Matthew, it talks about, you know, him being exalted over all things. Same thing. He is overall, all, firstborn over all creation, authority over all creation. And then all things have been created through him and for him. Okay, well, if you were confused by the first one of all creation, and then you read that, you're going to be double confused because you're going to be like, well, was he created or was he, was, was, did he create everything? Like, what, what are we doing? That line just reiterates that first one of all creation line above saying that he is, he is the creator of all things and all things have been created for him. He is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. Again, Paul's really reiterating, like, he has always existed. And, like, really pushing back on the, on the Gnostics, because they, they did not believe that. They believed that Jesus was, it was just a, maybe a manifestation of God, but he's, he's not God. He hasn't always existed. He's not spiritual. He's matter, which means he's bad. Um, so Paul's really pushing that idea to this church to say, hey, I know what they're saying, Here's the actual truth of the matter. Use this to build your faith so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Again, this is that picture of him being exalted above all things. We see that after, you know, he, he dies and resurrects. He's been exalted. He's been ascended, uh, sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he, he's, he is above all things. It, um, Matthew 28, verse 18, that, that was the one I was talking about. And Jesus came and said to him, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So again, this is the idea of he's exalted above all things. And if we needed, if we needed kind of a, yeah, something else to kind of put a seal on the understanding that he's always been, now, it is important to understand that he has always existed, and then he came in the flesh. So he's always existed, but then he was born in the flesh to live a perfect life, to die for our sins, and to be rose again. So he's always existed. He just came in a different form to take on the sins of the world. Does that make sense? So if we want a, a clear or, or kind of a stamp on there, I should, we're all familiar with the scripture, but it's, it's kind of puts a pretty bow on it. Uh, John 1, verses 1 through 5 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he, he was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into, has come into being. In him, in him was life, 
and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. This is talking about Jesus. Jesus is a word, and he has always existed. So one of the things that I wanted to end, end this with is, you know, topics like this can be, they can be a struggle if you're not somebody that's driven to seek and, and dig into the word. And this is also something that, let's say you were in public and you're, you're at work and you're talking to somebody about your faith, right? And this atheist or this unbeliever thinks that they've got a zinger for you, you know, something that you're just not going to be able to to refute, and they, they quote Colossians, and they're like, hey, you say that Jesus is God, and he's always existed, but this says that he's, he's the firstborn of all creation. What, what, what do you mean he's, he's always always existed? If, if you are not prepared for that, that might damage your belief system because you won't have a defense for that. With things like this, even if you read it and it, and, and it brings up doubt in you, what you should do with that doubt is not one, it, you shouldn't be ashamed. That's, that's not what doubt is for. But you should use that doubt to dig in to have a defense for this. This is, I, like, that's one of my favorite things about digging into the word is, like, discovering that it's, it's so much deeper than I could have ever imagined. It's like a well that just, it, the water never ends. So when you come across things like this, I encourage you to, to dig in deeper, to study, to have a defense for these things because one, it'll build your faith. And also we don't want them to, we want to be able to accurately just like teach and explain why something is phrased a certain way or what it means because that can be the difference between somebody's unbelief and somebody's belief. So I just want to encourage you, it doesn't take that much to, to really dig into the word. I mean, yes, some things, you know, take forever. I mean, I've, I've, we've been going over the book of uh, the Gospel of Matthew on Tuesday nights, and I've studied through Matthew twice, and we're going through it on Tuesdays, and I'm like, I guess I'm going to have to study through it again because it's so deep. There's so much there. Um, but I encourage you to not shy away from the Word. Dig in and discover the, the beauty that is, that is in there. And if you struggle with that, if you don't fully know how to decipher the Word, I would be more than happy to, to show you. Just let me know.